Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, brother, for the songs, bro. Thank you for your singing this morning. Uh, I appreciate it very much. We're supposed to teach and admonish one another, right? I think we did some of that this morning. Priesthood through the ages, part three, and I know probably tired of hearing about the priesthood, but we've got to finish it up. And uh, we started back in the, uh, the Old Testament. We saw there was no need for a priest in the garden. In fact, someone even suggested to me that that might have been, should be considered another dispensation, which I think there's some merit to that because it was a totally different time for man on the earth. But anyway, that's another discussion. Then when sin came, there became a need for the intermediary, a priest. And of course, this was God's plan, God's design. Man didn't think this up. And we talked about the priestly work that was done before the Aaronic priesthood was established. Noah, Job in particular, and then of course Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God. And he was the one who blessed Abraham. Then we talked last time about uh, the priesthood under the law of Moses being of, of the tribe of Levi, and in particular the family of Aaron, and all the uh, various sacrifices that had to be offered, and uh, the meticulous details, if you will, of when and how and for what purposes and so forth. And uh, we looked a little bit at that. Uh, the offering of sacrifices being the one responsibility of the priesthood and the other main responsibility, that of teaching the word of God, uh, showing the difference between the holy and the uh, unholy, the clean and the unclean and so forth. And uh, we read about that in the book of Nehemiah as one example. But as we've seen and we led into this lesson today with some thoughts last week, uh, understanding that there were flaws in that law, uh, that the law could make no one perfect, that the blood of bulls and goats could not remove sin, and they stood year after year and had to be uh, atoned for on the Day of Atonement. Something better had to come. And, of course, this was part of God's plan. Uh, he had the law in place as uh, we... Paul writes in Galatians, the law is our schoolmaster, our tutor, to bring us to Christ, for us to see the great need for Christ Jesus, uh, as Rick said at the table, to live the perfect life and then be offered as the Lamb of God for us and to usher, usher in so much better things than we have under the law of Moses. So we're going to start in uh, Hebrews 7. Christ Jesus as high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And I encourage you, uh, just take the book of Hebrews and read it. All right, read it through a couple times. Get the feel for it. See what the author is saying. See these uh, contrasts between the law of Moses and the new covenant. Uh, I think it will do you a great deal of good. So the priesthood under Melchizedek or of Melchizedek was a better priesthood. 
Hebrews 7 and 15. And this is clear still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. Again, the physical requirement here was the fact that for priests, for a person to be a priest, they had to be born in the family of Aaron. There was no way under the law of Moses for somebody of the tribe of Issachar to be a priest or somebody of the tribe of uh, Naphtali to be a priest. Not possible. You had to be born of the, the tribe of Levi, the family of Aaron. And if you were born a son uh, of the family of Aaron, guess what? You were a priest. You didn't have a choice. That's what you did. So uh, that was the physical requirement for being a priest under the law of Moses, but that was not the requirement for being a priest under the order of Melchizedek. Okay? In fact, here what we see is the power of an indestructible life. This is the life of Christ, that even though he died on the cross as we, we remembered him, that he was raised to life and never to die again. And that's one reason that he can continue as priest. And he was, as verse 17, it is tested of him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That was said of Christ Jesus in the book of Psalm. I believe it was Psalm 110. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a form of commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. And we read uh, in the New Testament, I believe in one of Paul's letters, it said simply, but the law was a knowledge of sin. And uh, what, uh, what was read there um, in our reading this morning about the law made no one perfect. In fact, under the law, it brought a curse because if you want to live by the law, you have to keep the law perfectly. And that's not possible for us to do. So it brought a curse. And so that was part of the weakness, again, of this former commandment or law of Moses. Verse 19, continuing, now on the other hand, there is bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, meaning those under the uh, law of Moses. But he, meaning Christ, with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. So this was God's doing, and it was always God's design to do this, and that's why we find that shadowy figure of Melchizedek way back there in the time of Abraham. And uh, we don't know a lot about him, even as the writer of Hebrews says, I'd like to tell you more about him, but you're not able to receive it, but anyway. But notice through this priesthood, there's a better hope brought in and a better covenant. Uh, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. And what we do want to note is this. When this new covenant was established, and Christ was established as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, the Aaronic priesthood was done away with. Okay? 
It was no longer effective, and it's not coming back. There are a lot of people out there got in their head somewhere, they misread some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, that sometime Jerusalem is going to be reestablished, and they're going to reestablish the law, and they're going to start offering animal sacrifices again. That is not going to happen. That would be just a total affront to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. And so if you talk to somebody that's in that frame of mind, you really need to set them straight. That only the sacrifice of Christ Jesus removes sins. And this other system is gone. And God does not acknowledge it anymore. Christ Jesus gives the better sacrifices. We see in 10.4, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. We, we quote that a lot. Let's look in Hebrews 9.23 to talk about the sacrifice of Christ, okay, why it is better. We had to have something better to offer God. Well, in fact, God supplied it, right? In fact, it's God in the flesh supplying his own sacrifice on our behalf, the Lamb of God. So we're totally dependent upon God in that respect for our salvation. Hebrews 9.23 Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. He had just got through talking about the cleansing of the tabernacle with the uh, blood of animals that were sacrificed for purification and so forth. And notice these were copies. These were copies of the thing, the real things in the heavens. And again, it just makes you think, and again, we could go there, is every, everything here is, as we know, temporary, right? You know, we can touch, touch ourselves, feel ourselves, pound on this, but it's very much temporary. It's real, but it's temporary. The heavenly, sacrifice, the heavenly things needed better sacrifices. Whatever it is in heaven he's talking about, and he doesn't reveal a whole lot, but we needed a better sacrifice. Maybe it's the future in heaven. That's a possibility. 24, for Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands. Okay? A mere copy of the true one. All right? He didn't go into the tabernacle. He did not go into the temple. As some mistakenly believe that that was when the, the uh, curtain of the temple was torn in two. He did not do that. I mean, he did not go in there. That's not why it was torn in two. It was torn in two because it was no use anymore. And that was God saying, this is done. Now mankind has access to God through Christ Jesus. But here, look what he says. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's where Jesus went. Now you think about that. He went into heaven itself to appear before God on our behalf, if you will, with his blood. Offering himself as a sacrifice. It's important to remember 
what Jesus did was a sacrifice. Okay? And we talk a lot at the table about his suffering, which is fine. We don't want to discount his suffering. We want to consider that and what that means. But Jesus could have suffered for weeks. And if he had not died, it would have done no good. It's the death that's important. He died as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the thing that matters. And he, he went into the presence of God on our behalf. That was the cross, the suffering, the blood, the whole thing. And because of that, you know, it's a better sacrifice. He goes into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. Think about that. That's a wow factor. That's what this was all about, you see. Redeeming us with his blood. In fact, going back up to a little bit earlier there in that chapter, it's right up the top of the page in my Bible, but I don't know if you've got the same one I got or not. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. His own blood. That's what did it. He was willing to die to give his life so that we might live. And he got eternal redemption. Hebrews 10.10. 10. And the reason I encourage you to read Hebrews, as you can see, I'm skipping around here a little bit, and the author kind of skips around a little bit, as often uh, New Testament writers do. They it just doesn't flow smoothly, so to get all of the thoughts, you have to read the whole book. Maybe God had some wisdom in that, too. But Hebrews 10 and 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifice. He's talking about the priests under Aaron, which can never take away sins. But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. There is no need whatsoever anymore for a sacrifice for sin. It's done. And we have some friends in their religious service say they are offering a sacrifice to God. Brothers and sisters, that's not right. It is not a sacrifice. It's over, done, once for all, Jesus entered in with his blood. And the way we encounter that blood and avail ourselves of it and receive the power of it is when we die with Christ in the waters of baptism. That's where we touch his death and his blood. Romans 6. That's how it happens. We have to die with him. 
Verse 13, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. We know he's there at the right hand of God, reigning among his enemies. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And if you are in Christ, that's you. You have been perfected for all time in Christ Jesus. As long as you stay in Christ. It's over. It's done. That's how effective his blood is. So, a better sacrifice. You can reflect on that. You can read more in Hebrews about that. But that's the power of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Okay, next thought. We're talking about better things here. Better sacrifice brings in a better covenant. Okay, let's look in Hebrews 8. As we saw the weaknesses of the first covenant, I'm not going to go through those again. But we have a better covenant now uh, that Jesus can bring in because there's a change in the priesthood and he offers a better sacrifice. Hebrews 8, 6. Now, but now he has obtained a more, ex- a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Okay? Um, the better covenant, because we have the better sacrifice, Jesus can remove sin, the blood of Christ can remove sins. So that paves the way for true forgiveness. Okay? We don't have to keep offering sacrifices day after day, year after year for sin. It's over and done. We just remain in Christ and remember what he's done as we just did. He's still the sacrifice and the only one. For if that first covenant, verse 7, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second, which is true but it had its weaknesses. For finding fault with them, he says, and this is God speaking, all right? And like I said, he set it up to bring us to Christ, to show, you know, the weaknesses of trying to keep the law and so forth and so on and of just animal sacrifices. It wasn't enough. It wouldn't work. So it was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Of course, this is a a prophecy again uh, back in Jeremiah which has been fulfilled at the writing here of Hebrews. This has already taken place. He's citing this prophecy. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Those who come to Christ, those who come to God now, they are born again, all right? John chapter 3, Nicodemus, water and the Spirit. But they must be taught, okay? You must understand what you're doing. At least the basics. 
as verse 11 indicates, and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord. All right? Now that is, that is actually what you would say would be proclaiming the gospel. All right? But those who are in the body of Christ, those who are in Christ, should know the Lord. There's no need to really teach them about who Christ Jesus is or what he did. All right? That's to be done up front when the gospel is proclaimed. I'm not saying you understand it all in every last detail, but you understand, you grasp what was done in Christ for you. You know, those under the law of Moses, the Jews, when they were born, okay, they didn't know who they were, right? They didn't know anything about their family or whatever. So when they grew up, I mean, they were a Jew. They had to be taught. And if you remember in Deuteronomy, one of the, some of the instruction to the parents was, you know, when you walk by the wayside and you sit down and you get up, you want to be teaching your children all of these things about why we do what we do and who we are. Right? Now, we as Christians need to do the same thing today when we're bringing up our children. But they didn't know. You know, what's this tabernacle for? Why are we sacrificing? They had to learn, but they were Jews. In the body of Christ, you, need, you know who you are if you are a member of the body of Christ. A young child born into a Christian family is not a Christian. I think we understand that. Some people don't. They have to, when they reach, as we would say, the age, to understand and know and to obey the gospel and accept Christ, they do that on their own. And they know, then at that point, who they are. That's what he's talking about. For all will know me from the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. You see? Day of Atonement remembered every year, all the sins, every year. Not now. You bring your sins to Christ, they are forgiven. And God says, okay, that's it, they're done. I'm not bringing that up anymore. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to worry about that. It's done. It's done. And again, for the Christian, the how important it is there in 1 John 1 to acknowledge your sin, confess it to God so it will be forgiven. If you just want to carry it around and try to hide it, guess what? It's not forgiven. You need to worry about that one. God just wants us to come clean and confess and just walk with Christ, walk in the light of Christ. Let's flip back real quickly to Romans 8. Absolute and complete forgiveness in Christ. You know, uh, you know, this whole thing, it just, you know, you could pull in the whole New Testament about talking about Jesus Christ and what he did, about his sacrifice, about uh, the covenant, about the word, and so forth. Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I remember my dad, a long time ago, 
read those words. It was like one of those, as we say, he just read it for the first time. And he came to me and he said, did you read this? In Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's the greatness of the sacrifice of Christ. We shouldn't be afraid and worried and troubled. Just be honest with God and do, do what he said. Work, work hard. Move forward. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Whether that's the law of Moses or just the idea that if you sin, you die. Either way, you're free from that. You have to live by the law of the spirit of life in Christ. If you're in Christ, you have the spirit of Christ, you have life. And even though this body dies, you know you'll be resurrected. Again, Romans 6, first 10 verses. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, we were talking about this Wednesday evening, in Dawn's session, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh because he lived perfectly. He said, sin, Satan, you're not going to get me. And it didn't. Praise God. That's how he became the Lamb of God, without blemish and spot. So that the requirement of the law to keep the law perfectly might be fulfilled in us. Through Christ, you see, we have his righteousness. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We walk in the spirit. So it's a better covenant. It's a better arrangement. Better promises. We're going to talk about a better hope next. Back to Hebrews, this time, chapter 6, 17 to 20. The hope which Jesus gives us is better. Um, I'm not sure it's, it's a better thing we hope for, although in the New Testament we have a better revelation of what our future is. In the Old Testament, the idea of life eternal was just kind of shadowy there, you know. It wasn't really a focus of uh, what the prophets were talking about. But, of course, in the New Testament, we have the concept of eternal life, and it's, it's everywhere. So we, we have a clearer picture of a life eternal, new heavens and a new earth, again, however you look at that, that we will live with God. And so it's there. But this is also a better hope because, you know why, it's assured in Christ, like we've been talking. It's guaranteed in Christ Jesus. Whatever he did, it's done, and it can't be taken away from us. We have it. We have it in Christ. Hebrews 6, 17. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, that's you and me, among others, the unchangeableness of his purpose, unchangeableness. He's not going to change his mind. Interpose with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
So he said it, and then he also took an oath. It won't change. We who have taken refuge in Christ would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. God is putting it out there. He said, there it is. It's in Christ. I'm not going to change my mind. Grab onto it. This is your hope. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. Is it your anchor? Is it? When things, the winds blow this way and the winds blow that way and you get all upset and worried and, oh, Lord, what do we do? And yeah, I know we have troubles, but this hope's an anchor, you see. Yeah, things hurt. We lose things in this life. But we have a future. We have a guaranteed future in Christ. This hope. I hope both sure and steadfast in one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. As we talked about, he went into heaven, right? That's where this anchor goes clear into heaven where Jesus went on our behalf, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The assured hope in Christ. Again, we saw the indestructible life, the sinless life, the perfect sacrifice. He's of the priesthood of Melchizedek. He's gone into heaven. He assured it, and it's there. A better hope based upon what Christ did. All right. Kind of wrap this up now. Helen, we got five minutes? Okay. Because I want to finish this up. In all of this arrangement, let's go to 1 Peter 2. The Father's not left us out. Okay, Jesus is a high priest. He's the one who made the sacrifice for sin, as we just said. Under this priesthood of Melchizedek, under this new covenant, there is no designated class of priests, okay, like under the uh, law of Moses. However, there are other priests. There are other priests. And this is another thing I think we kind of overlook and tend to forget about. 1 Peter 2, 4. And coming to him, meaning to Christ, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, Christians, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. He's our high priest. We go through him. This is one reason why we pray in the name of Christ. He is our mediator and high priest with God. Notice also in another place we are also the temple of God, aren't we? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are the temple of God and we serve as priests in the temple of God which is in your body. 
Isn't that amazing? God's plan. But we are priests. Now, we are priests, but we do not offer sacrifices for sin. That's done. But what do we do? Look back at Hebrews 13, and then we'll close out in Romans 12. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, meaning through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So there's a sacrifice of praise, and this morning we are offering the sacrifice of praise in our singing. That is part of what we do as priests to God. We praise him with our lips, not just in our minds, but with our lips. We let it out, singing, and even when, you know, you verbalize and say you're talking on the street with somebody and well, Jesus took care of this for me, and God has really blessed me. That is a sacrifice of praise to God. You talk about Jesus. You tell somebody the gospel, that's a sacrifice of praise to God. You're talking about him. You're telling others what great things God has done for you. That's what priests do. It's a sacrifice. That's the way God sees it. Next verse, though. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Whenever we do good or share with someone in need, that is seen as a, by God as a sacrifice. We are serving as priests to God. All right, so recently, uh, Barb just had the thank you note. Anybody that helped out Barb? in that situation with the food or prayers or whatever it is, you were doing priestly work in the name of Christ. Some of us have been offering rides to Hank to work. Well, Hank, well Tammy doesn't have a car. That is priestly work, a sacrifice offered to God. You're helping out somebody in need. You make a visit. Uh, we got the opportunity now about Potter Children's Home. That's a sacrifice to God. That's priestly work, doing good and sharing. And th these are the things we have to keep in mind, you see. It's not just, oh, it's a good work. Well, I'll go buy something. You're serving as a priest to God. That's a privilege, isn't it? Romans 12. We've got to hurry. I don't know why, but we say that, but Anyway, Romans 12.1, you remember this passage. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So here we are. This is kind of the bottom line of it as we come to Christ Jesus and we want the salvation. We want to serve him. We, we understand his love and his gift. But because we do, we want to serve him. We want to give ourselves in his service. Help others find the same love and the same peace. And be, find the joy in, in serving him and doing good for others. And so that's what he wants us to do. Do not be conformed to this world. You know, the world says it's about me and to be selfish and accumulate. No, that's not what it's about. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Understand that living God's way is the best way to live. That's what we want to prove. Christ is the high priest. His sacrifice for sin is done, is over. It's effective, it's powerful, and it's still as effective today as it was the day he died. If you want to avail yourself of the power of that sacrifice and become a son of God, be cleansed by the blood, have all your sins forgiven, not have to think about them. We can assist you with that this morning. We can assist you with that any time. We encourage you. Whenever the Spirit might move you, you get the thought in your heart, don't quench it. Let it go. Let it move you to do what you know you need to do. If you are a Christian and you're struggling with your service to God, you don't see yourself as a priest and you're kind of resisting, you really need to let that go too. And see what a privilege and an honor it is to be a part of the priesthood of God. If you need prayer this morning, we'd be glad, glad and happy to pray with you. If you want to respond now, please come while Brother Don leads us.